and welcome to Oprick. My name's Allie. And my name's Lyra. And today we are going to be talking about uh, something on a similar topic of my last one. Um, still cannibalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's not as fun, though. Um, whereas, like, you know, the foot fajitas, gross, kind of funny. Just, mm-hmm. just a couple of guys being dudes. This one, not so much. So today we're going to be talking about uh, Tim McLean and his unfortunate murder. Now, does that name ring a bell? No. Okay. That's okay. So let's talk about Tim a little bit. So Tim at the time was a 22-year-old man uh, born as Timothy Richard McLean Jr. um, on October 3rd, 1985 in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. He grew up primarily in Winnipeg and Eli, Manitoba. He was born to parents Tim Sr. McLean and Carol DeElli. Tim Sr. and Carol had a little bit of a complicated relationship and were at the time and are still divorced. Um, because of this, he actually, Tim Jr. had a whole bunch of siblings. Uh, mm-hmm. He was also super close to his extended family. So a lot of people in his life. Tim was described as always bringing out the best in people with his charm and never uh, tired of pulling pranks. He was a super likable person with a magnetic personality who couldn't dislike anyone, and everywhere he went, he brought light and joy. Um, a couple more things is that he was pretty athletic. Athletic. <laughs> um, he loved food. Also, I apologize, listeners, if you can hear a dog crying in the background. That is my dog that has separation issues. Weird. Me too. You're going to cut that out, right? <laughs> You're going to go the weird me too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to cut that out. Okay. Tim was unapologetically himself and loved everything that would get him into dirt and trouble. He described himself as a true modern-day nomad, uh, didn't really have a place of his own to keep his things. Um, this uh, was obvious because Tim really loved the carnival and, and working there um, just because it was wild and loud, and it always had a cycle of new faces passing by. Um, as a little side note to his more nomadic life, he didn't have a lot of material things aside from owning some of his favorite movies or music. And I thought this was the cutest thing ever. Um, he also had a pet iguana named Little Timmy. That is so cute. I know. Cause it's like his dad's Tim Sr., Tim Jr., and then Little Timmy's little his Tim. iguana. <laughs> Iguani? Iguana. Um, from what I could see, there was a lot of uh, quotes and comments made by his family um, that just kind of hit me in the feels. Um, it sounded like basically his family really loved him. All of his friends thought he was a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes it really sad that he's gone. <clears throat> now, I mentioned that he worked at a carnival. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, carnivals travel a lot. They're, yeah. they're everywhere. Uh, and that's, that was just part of his work. So... He would constantly be on the move. Again, it's kind of going with his nomadic lifestyle. And he would, um, when those carnivals would, you know, close for the season, or maybe he wanted to just, you know, dip out early, he would return home. And that's exactly what he was doing on July 30th, 2008. Tim is heading home from his carnival gig in Alberta, Canada. Um, This is roughly a 22-hour drive or uh, 1,582 kilometer or 983 mile trip from Alberta to Winnipeg. Okay. Where he is. For us in the States, that would basically be like driving from LA, California to San John, New Mexico, which is like right on the cusp of the New Mexico, Texas border, like right where the Texas hat is. I've driven there. Yeah, it fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> So he's nearly 1,000 miles away from home, and Tim is going to be taking the 1170 Greyhound bus right around noon. Pretty smart move, because who the hell wants to drive that? Yep. But then you have to sit on the bus with all the other people. I mean, it's also Canada. I don't know. I feel like it would be better, because it's not the U.S. We have a lot of freaking weird people in the U.S. We have a lot of... Inconsiderate. I was going to say dirty, but it's not that they're dirty. It's just that they're inconsiderate to the next person. So they leave a mess sometimes. Yep. Can I tell you a story really quickly about the first time I ever got on a bus? So it was me and my friends. We were going to the beach. Mm-hmm. And um, 
none of us could drive yet. So we got on the bus and the four of us were sitting basically one row and then the next row up and then the next row up um, Mm -hmm. because there was like no room on the bus and there's only like one person in like the seats in front. So I'm in the very back sitting next to one of my friends and one of my other friends is sitting in the seat next to a random person um, there. My friend nudges me, the one that's sitting next to me, and she's just like, look, look at the lady in front of us. She had this giant like fly bug thing like on her on, on her back. And we just kept staring at it the entire drive. <laughs> but like, okay. I, I tell you, it's like it was like that big. Ew. Yeah, I I don't know if she ever noticed it. I don't know what it was. But anyways, we were freaked out that it was going to move at some point. Oh, my God. It could have been dead already. It probably was dead already. I didn't see it move once. Mm-hmm. But anyways, that's my little sidetrack there. <clears throat> so Tim's making this 22-hour trek. He finds himself a window seat towards the back of the bus, and he just pops on his headphones and is just listening to music the entire time. I never heard if, like, his – and I guess it's just, like, a minor detail. It doesn't matter. But, like, on a 22-hour drive, like, I don't think an MP3 would last that long or an iPod or anything like that. Well, I mean, he could have stopped when they stopped to get batteries. It's 2008. <laughs> or they have – they also have outlets on the bus. That's, on the buses. Oh, they do. Okay. I've never been on a Greyhound bus, so never yeah. knew. Yeah, nowadays – they have even back then they had outlets mm-hmm. so you could charge that stuff. you could plug in a i mean that makes sense since you not know, like the fancy usb ones but the actual like, like outlets where mm-hmm. you can put like the the brick in and then put your usb yeah. connector thing on there all right well around 7 p.m on that same day the bus stops in erickson manitoba to pick up more passengers this is where a vincent lee boarded the bus so i want to talk about vincent a little bit Vincent Weiguang Li was born on April 30th, 1968 in Dandong, China. He was 40 years old when this happened. We don't know a lot about his early life um, and kind of just his life in general. It's It was kind of fuzzy to like find all the details. There was mm-hmm. a lot of like, this is it, and then this is it, and then it, I couldn't find like anything definitive. So going with what I saw the majority of. So Vince graduated from the Wuhan Institute of Technology with a Bachelor's of Computer Science. He then got a job as a software engineer in Beijing. So, mm-hmm. pretty, doing pretty well. He emigrated to Canada in 2001 and received legal Canadian citizenship in 2006. And this is where it gets kind of fuzzy. I've seen some places report that he was actually diagnosed in 2005 with schizophrenia. And I've seen other sources saying that that didn't happen. But regardless, shortly after he gained his citizenship in 2006, Vince was institutionalized. Okay. So the reason he was institutionalized was because he was found by officers where he was saying he was following the sun because God told him to do it. So prior to this, he was also married to a woman. Um, I just found her first name, Anna. Uh, and it's speculated that he converted to Christianity. So that would be why he's mentioning God so much. Mm-hmm. Um, after meeting Anna, he started working at, or yeah, working for the Grant Memorial Church to support him and Anna. But he quit his job after six months there. Mm-hmm. Um, from Pastor Tim Castor, he reported that Vince was happy doing the job and happy to have a job. And was committed to doing a really good job. He didn't see any signs of anger issues. He did, however, have some fr- frustrations from not being able to communicate or understand um, the other staff very well. Um, however, the staff did do their best to try to accommodate. Uh, and Vince responded pretty well to this. So okay. It's like everyone's trying. No one's being a dick, at least that we know. Not yet. Actually, I don't see anything like that. <laughs> um, so Vince quit the job at the church, mm-hmm. and he started to venture into new career paths. So he then moved on to becoming a forklift operator, which ladies, men, become forklift certified, and you'll get all 
mm-hmm. the ladies and men that you want. Well, you get money for that. But yeah, you do. <laughs> Actually, I never said if he was forklift certified, but he did work as a forklift operator. I'm assuming he does. You have, you have <laughs> to be certified to be able to. People be break one. the laws. Well, that's something that if you were caught driving the forklift mm-hmm. without the certification, you that's a lot of trouble you can get into. Well, it's a good thing I've never driven a forklift. So after he quit his job as a forklift operator, he then moved to Edmonton without his wife. Um, he basically just up and left. Didn't really tell her that he was leaving. Um, okay. She didn't follow after him, like a little bit after he had left. So they did join back in. Okay. <laughs> I, it, I never they heard back together. Yes, exactly. I didn't see anything that was saying that they were having marriage troubles. It was just that he literally was just kind of like spur of the moment. I'm going to go do my own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in Edmonton, he started have to have a string of jobs that, uh, again, they're all not in his specialty as a software engineer. So we had a forklift operator. Um, then he worked at a fast food restaurant. Um, d- he worked delivering papers on the side while he worked at that fast food restaurant. And he also was employed by Walmart at some point. I couldn't find the positions for this, but I mean, I think from what you can see from that like little resume that he has mm-hmm. he's probably just kind of lowly worker you know well not lowly worker yeah, you know you know really just finding the entry-level jobs exactly that's what that's what it's called thank you um that must be tough though moving from like china having this like decently good career and then going to a new country and being told like you can only get jobs as like an entry-level well it happens service worker i guess it happens a lot because from what i see from work you you do have a lot of people because we have a lot of mm-hmm. Asian applicants from like everywhere. And in China or Japan, they work as like tech people or like yeah. these high end jobs. Like we had a CEO what? from China. Okay. And well, I guess a lot of people can just be CEOs. Yeah. That's another <laughs> thing is you could literally call your CEO, yourself a CEO for anything. I'm the CEO of this podcast. Yes. Um, Not. <laughs> I shouldn't be. But, like, then you see them applying for, like, something like housekeeper Mm -hmm. or customer service person. Yeah. And it's, like, I don't know if it's because their degree when they come over here is just, like... It doesn't work as well. But, I mean, if they were working in a career, I feel like that shows that they at least have the experience. I don't know. It's just so weird because you can immigrate... And in your country, have a lot of experience with this. But then you come to the States and it's like, we don't care about that. Honestly, I think that's the most messed up thing ever. But this is also in Canada. <laughs> but I've also yeah. seen that they applied while they were still in their country mm-hmm. to be able to come over here. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense where they just, they do that. And mm-hmm. then they try to find work and something else. But I, if I remember correctly, well, yeah, I have the notes in front of me. <laughs> He came over in 2001, and then by 2006, like five years later, he's still not finding work in these things. It could be it, just, it could be just like a really tough job market. Yeah, not just that, but it's like, unless you line that job up, mm-hmm. maybe that's the key. It's like, if you line the job up beforehand versus just coming over here and hoping to find the job. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's something that we could all improve on, but I can't fix that. I am only one person. Um, anyways, let's go back to Walmart. So at Walmart, he actually did get fired from the job. For by um, His reason for firing was because he had a disagreement with the other employees. But other than that, there was really nothing else that was like noted as being very aggressive or weird behavior aside from like the walmart job Mm -hmm. everyone else said like he's a good worker he's here he's happy to have a job yay so after vince was fired from walmart Mm -hmm. he was still working his uh his paper delivery job however he asked for time off to go into edmonton to see if he could um find another job And now this is where he starts hopping on Greyhound buses. So at midnight the day before, um, July 29th, yes, um, when we all started, he's in Edmonton. He gets on the Greyhound bus going to Winnipeg. 
At 6 p.m. on July 29th, Vince got off the bus in Erickson, Manitoba, and sat on a bench throughout the entire night. One person reported that he saw Vince sitting upright with his eyes wide open at 3 a.m. And so now we're on July 30th. So he's been there for like basically a whole day just sitting on a bench. Yes. He's still sitting on that bench. He's starting to act a little bit funny. People are starting to kind of notice. Um, One of these things that I think is just kind of weird, but like also kind of helped in the whole investigation was that he had a 15-year-old boy pass by him while he was trying to sell his laptop. Mm-hmm. How much do you think he sold this lap? Was selling this laptop for fifty bucks? You're really close. He sold the laptop to the 15 year old boy for sixty dollars, and it was a brand spanking new laptop, not even like his old one that he may just be trying to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Brand new. Anyways, same day around seven p.m., the bus. Around 7 p.m., a Greyhound bus approaches the Erickson, Manitoba bus stop to pick up more passengers. Mm -hmm. This is bus 1170, and this is where Vincent Lee boards the bus. When he boarded the bus, Vince sat himself at the front. However, on the next stop that they had, he had a smoke, you know, just, you know, stretch his legs out got back on the bus, and he decided that he was going to reseat himself towards the back of the bus. Mm-hmm. On his way back, he's just kind of scoping out everything, just trying to like find a seat, find a good place to just rest, where he makes eye contact with Tim, who had an empty seat right next to him. Okay. So Tim looks at him, just gives him like a nod in approval, just saying like, yeah, man, you can sit here, and Vince obliges. So he takes the seat right next to Tim. Tim scooches over a little bit and he starts to lean on the window to just kind of take a nap and listen to his music. Up until this point, aside from like the small little weird things that are happening um, with Vince's behavior, he's basically just noted as being quiet, unremarkable, and people really weren't noticing him. So even even though he, you know, he's just sitting on a bench, like obviously the people on the bus who he just boarded on haven't seen that. Other people just think it's kind of weird, but it's not anything, like, dangerous. So mm-hmm. nothing's going awry yet. But now that he was in the back of the bus, sitting next to Tim, his behavior shifted. Vince started to noticeably fidget and started muttering chants under his breath. Which, I mean, that's not... In itself, too terrible. I mean, I fidget a lot. I like, I have shaken legs. It's shaken leg syndrome. Is that what it's called? Restless legs. That, there we go. <laughs> shaken is the baby one. Oh no. Uh, yeah, I have that. I usually like tear off like mm-hmm. my cuticles. Yeah. Um, and then I always say something stupid under my breath and I forget that I'm in public. <laughs> but what isn't normal is pulling out a Bowie knife on a bus. And that's exactly what Vince did. So he pulled out the Bowie knife from his backpack mm-hmm. and he stabbed the still sleeping Tim in the neck. I don't know if this is just me, but I would probably wake up and scream. And that's exactly what Tim did. That didn't stop Vince. Um, Vince was just con- consistently and repeatedly stabbing Tim. All the while, Tim tried fighting back. So there were defensive wounds on his body. And obviously, shit's hitting the fan. Mm-hmm. Everyone's noticing. I mean, you're going to hear somebody screaming. And you're going to look back or look forward and see that what's happening. So there was one witness that was sitting one row ahead of Tim that described hearing a blood-curdling scream um, when this happened. Yes. Another passenger reported that he saw Tim fighting Vince, attempting to give the other passengers time to escape. And one of these witnesses also reported that Vince, the attacker, seemed oblivious to the others when the stabbing was occurring. He said that he was very calm. Quote, there was no rage or anything. He was like a robot stabbing the guy, he said. 
And at this time, passengers are panicking. They're running off the bus. They're yelling at the driver to stop the bus and also trying to, like, open the doors to get off. Mm-hmm. And the driver does do this. So he makes an emergency stop. Uh, I believe this is when he basically immobilized the bus so that nobody could take control of it while everybody mm-hmm. ran off. Uh, but they're just on the Trans-Canada Highway now. Yeah. They're stranded there. They're about an hour away from Winnipeg. And while all the passengers and the bus driver are escaping, Vince is just continuing to step. There's just, he's not stopping. At this point, Tim is on the aisle floor and it's estimated that he was stepped between 50 to 60 times. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I I hope that he was gone at this point, because if not, I feel even worse about this. Um. Because we're going to hear a little bit more about what happened. Um, Before that, though, I'm not going to fault any of the people who just decided to run off the bus. Like, you're getting away from danger. That's cool. That's not cool, actually. But, like, like, I think that's just our normal instinct is to just run off the bus, get away from danger, and try to, you know, preserve ourselves. Um, There were three individuals, including the bus driver, who made an attempt to rescue Tim. They ran on the bus, and uh, while Vince was basically trying to run at them towards the doors, um, but Vince is still in stabby mode, so he's running after them with a knife and slashing wildly at them. Yeah. Yeah, not fun. So now... The driver and all the passengers are standing outside of the bus waiting on emergency services while Vince is still continuing his attack. So he's not stopping the stabbing. Mm -hmm. Vince is now, again, stabbing, but directing his energy towards sawing and hacking at Tim's neck. And this is why I'm saying I really hope he was gone by the time he was pulled down onto the aisles. Mm -hmm. So... Vince is sawing at his neck, and he does end up severing his head from the body, or his body. Vince then stands up, knife in one hand and head in the other, and holds up the head so that everybody could see. He is still fairly emotionless at this point. He's not, you know, acting like a crazy psychomaniac, flinging his tongue out and, like, screaming or anything. He's still an emotionless robot. He's just basically showing off what he did. So the passengers did basically what any normal person would do. Mm-hmm. Scream, panic, cry, faint, and throw up. And of course, there are people that were in that crowd who were also trying to record everything that was happening. And I'm judging those people. Why? Why do you have to record that? I mean, playing devil's advocate, if there's people already helping. So there were those mm-hmm. three guys that already helped. Me. Yeah. There are other people that might have been alerting authorities. Yeah. Someone recording as seeing that everything else is getting done, it could be used in evidence for court. Like that, that's just mm-hmm. gaining evidence f- to use because they can analyze his, his um, behavior in the video and mm-hmm. all that stuff and not just base it off of eyewitness. So it is something that can be used versus, well, versus someone that that's their first instinct besides helping. Mm-hmm. But it's like if everything else is being done, it's like, that's also a way of helping too to protect somebody. I don't think they were doing it for that. I think it was just more of like sensational kind of thing. Like I'm going to post this on the internet. It's going to go viral kind of thing. Also, the bus had, I, I don't think I mentioned this, but the bus had 37 passengers in total, including Vince and Tim. Mm-hmm. 35 eyewitness testimonies to me hold up so well, as opposed to having a video. But that's the thing. And I, don't, I don't think. Yeah. I don't know. I, get, I think video is helpful. Video footage is always more helpful than eyewitnesses. When you have 35 witnesses staring at a bus when this is happening, I'm, I mean. I'm just saying as devil's advocate, it's like <laughs> yeah. video evidence is also important. Still judging them. But anyways, here's a new player in the game. Um, so after the passengers are on the bus, they see everything happening. A truck stops and the truck driver saw what was happening, helped the passengers outside, gave them crowbars and hammers to defend themselves. Um, He also attempted to keep everyone safe um, by 
going over to the door with another one of the passengers to try to close it on Vince. So basically just preventing him from coming off the bus and attacking somebody new Mm -hmm. because they didn't know what his intentions were. Well, while they pulled for the doors to close, Vince also ran towards them, got his arms stuck in like the bus doors Mm -hmm. and just started slashing wildly again. So they back off and they just kind of leave the door like that. They're just like, I don't know what to do. And I, their thoughts basically drifted exactly where to where I was thinking. Like, they're thinking, what if he gets on the, off the bus? Who is he going to start attacking? What do you think? What do you think happens? I don't know. You don't know? They probably, probably eventually gets off the bus. No, actually. Vince just stayed on the bus. Okay. So they back off from the doors. Vince gets his arm free. And he goes back to Tim's body. He now is starting to parade his head around on the bus. He's also starting to mutilate Tim's body. By that, I mean he takes out his heart, his lungs, his liver, and his intestines and starts just displaying it all over the bus. So, again, like trauma to these passengers. We're just watching this man tear apart somebody and then put his body all over display. This is where I kind of, I'm not sure if I believe the whole, like, he was completely emotionless the entire time narrative. Um, But Vince continued to terrorize um, the passengers by openly displaying that he was cutting off Tim's ears and nose. He also continued to sniff the severed parts and licking the blood off them and his fingers. Mm -hmm. So to me, again, he's he's kind of intimidating them. (laughs) He's trying to, like... Show them, like, this could be you. I'm a dangerous man. And I don't know if I believe that he was just holding a, an expressionless, like, face the entire time. And another little note. Vince had also brought plastic bags on the bus. Specifically to take parts of his victim with him. Oh. Yeah. So... I, I flip-flop on whether this was, like, premeditated or not, but, like, obviously, that's knife, there's the bags, there's, like, a whole bunch of stuff going on. But, oh, boy. We'll talk about that. Now, if you're wondering where the hell the police are at, me too. Me too. So, 7 p.m. was when Vince and Tim returned back to the bus and were seated next to each other. Sometime between 7 p.m. and 8.30 was when the Royal Canadian Mounted Police received a report of the stabbing. So I can't tell you what happened between, like, that time, like, when it was actually re- um, not reported, because we know it was 8.30, uh, but between that time when they actually were deciding to, like, you know, attack, Vince decided to attack, and then people started to rush off the bus, and when they, you know, were starting to think, like, we got to get police here, somebody yeah. call and stuff. But around 9 p.m., police and emergency services arrived to the spot where the bus was stopped. So it's about 30 minutes. They did pretty good time if they were coming from Winnipeg. I mean, yeah, just an hour away, 30 minutes. They saved some time, but also they're the police. So now at this point, the bus is surrounded. Um, There are negotiators and also heavily armed tactical units. So basically a SWAT team. Yeah. Police first made attempts to get Vince to voluntarily get off the bus by using negotiations and just you know trying to lure him off, like uh, drop the knife or just come off the bus, that kind of stuff. Uh, Vince really wasn't hearing any of it. He was telling everybody that he had to stay on this bus forever. He was refusing to get off the bus, just pacing back and forth, and he was still continuing to mutilate Tim's body for more hours and continuing to eat more parts of him. So they continued these tactics up until 1.30 a.m. Okay. So they got there at 9. And it wasn't until 1.30 that Vince tried to make a run for it by breaking out of one of the windows on the bus and jumping out of it. Mm Mm-hmm. So in this entire, like, five-hour stint, 
no one made an like attempt to get Vince off the bus. It was just trying to talk him off the bus. But Vince didn't really get that far. He was already surrounded. Like, we got the SWAT team, we got the negotiators, we got all these police and emergency services everywhere. So as soon as he basically gets out the window and starts to make a run for it, he gets tased and then also incapacitated by a police dog. Mm -hmm. We love dogs in this household. So Vince was checked over when he was caught by the police and police found that he had Tim's ears, Tim's ears, nose and tongue in his pockets. So just loose in there. And there were also other parts of Tim in the plastic bags. As a side note, as a side note, so we found those things in his pockets. We found some of his body, Tim's body, in the plastic bags. And then we also had Tim's uh, remaining body in the bus. Mm -hmm. Well, the police were not able to find his eyes or a third of his heart either. So it's speculated and pretty much confirmed that Vince ate it. <laughs> okay. So that's fine. Yeah. And then like any kind of normal thing, um, police then w- had to take t- uh, Vince over to the hospital to treat the ones that he had received during the attack and his escape, mm-hmm. which I mean, guess it's standard protocol, but still doesn't make me happy. And it still doesn't make me happy that this took like five hours for them to take any kind of action. Well, I mean, they have to follow procedures. Would it be following procedures, though? Because at this point, it's just Vince on the bus. But you don't know. So that's the thing. It's like they have to consider if he might have had like a bomb mm-hmm. or what an actual gun on him. Mm-hmm. And so since they can't see inside the bus and see what's in his bag, that yeah. could have been a factor of like, we don't know what he has on there with him. So sending someone in to try to get him could cause him to lash out at the bystanders, whatever bystanders. Or well, officer. he's stuck on the bus. Well, no, but he could shoot out a window. That's if true. If he had yeah. a gun, he could just start shooting out the window. Mm-hmm. He could throw a bomb outside. That's why sometimes standoffs take so, because there have been like 24 hour standoffs. Mm-hmm. Because it's like you don't know what they have inside. Yeah. That could harm everybody else outside. Well, if that was the case, I think that they would have removed everybody from the scene. And they did at, at yeah. a certain point um, just to keep him away from the bus. Um, but for the most part, he's just there. He's just waving a knife around. He's just mutilating a body. Mm-hmm. All they know is that this person is on the bus alone. They're basically just holding themselves hostage. There's no one else there. You could in- incapacitate just him. Like, I don't know if they could just, like, they probably couldn't reach, like, see his legs or anything, but, like, they could shoot him in the arm. He could fall over and then people have people rush in. Um, again, I'm not, I don't know how to do these things, but none of his behavior changed in, like, those five hours. They didn't make any other attempts besides, like, just trying to negotiate him off. Mm-hmm. Again, he just seems like he's the only danger to himself. The only reason that I would think that they wouldn't want to, like, try to stop him with like a gunshot or something like that would be to well actually get answers from him see what what the hell is going on in his head but even then maybe even trying to throw like tear gas in there to like drive him out and then just have people ready to like tackle him i don't know i know there's there's a lot of factors that go into considering negotiations and all that stuff don't fight Huh? Still five fucking hours. I'm angry about it. I don't. I mean, that's right. not. There have been ones that were longer, a yeah. lot longer. It's a single fucking bus on the highway. Just cut it off and tell them, like, all right, go off, son. Yeah, but then it's also they're also not considering civilians. They're also considering officers because they don't want it to lose officers either. Mm-hmm. Lock them in there. So it's like I don't know. It's a lot to consider. I don't want to consider it. Dumb, and I'm, I just want action. No. All right, whatever. <laughs> you have points, okay? <laughs> Anyways, he tries to make his escape. He gets captured, and now 
police and other emergency services now have to look at everything that's happening um, as far as the crime scene goes. And they start talking to, um, they were talking to passengers right around, I believe, 10 p.m. So this was before he was even captured. Um, and just trying to get some more, like, I guess, analysis on his behavior throughout this entire trip. Like, what could have triggered this? What happened prior and during and after um, uh, the police got there? Along with that, all the passengers' belongings that were on the bus also had to be kept as evidence. Yeah. So that kind of sucks for them. Big W for Greyhound here. They actually took the passengers to a nearby store the next morning um, after they'd been interrogated and everything mm-hmm. um, to have them just go and buy some new clothes since they had lost basically everything <laughs> that they came with. Um, by the time that they were actually released back into Winnipeg, it was 3.30 p.m. So this is like July 31st, I believe. 3.30 p.m. It's like, hell, uh, that'd be a fucking night uh and then remember how i told you that vince had sold his laptop to a young boy yes well that boy actually ended up reporting to the rcmp that he had bought the laptop off of vince so he had to turn that in to them but the police also big w ended up buying the boy a new laptop because he was honest and brought them evidence so anyways that's kind of the whole spiel about what happened on the bus and some of uh, Vince and Tim, and some of the events that occurred prior. Let's talk about the trial a little bit. So Lee, so Lee's trial commenced on March third, two thousand nine, and Lee pleaded not criminally responsible for the crime due to insanity. Now Canada doesn't Canada doesn't have a death penalty, so it was either life in prison because he killed somebody, or be criminally insane. So he decided to go with criminal insane. That means he accepted that the offense occurred and he claimed that he was not able to form the necessary mental element or mens rea to commit the crime. I learned that one from Legally Blonde. And again, remember how I said that it? I couldn't find an actual like conf- confirmation that he had schizophrenia and was diagnosed with it? Well, in the trial... There was no documented history of mental illness before Vince had killed Tim. Mm-hmm. So they only had a testifying psychiatrist during the trial to diagnose Lee with schizophrenia. So there's two conflicting like things where it's like in 2005, he did have it and it, he just left it untreated. And then now in the trial, oh, yeah, no, an expert had to be brought in and they diagnosed him with it. It's a lot of flip floppies. Um, The psychiatrist said that Lee performed the attack because God's voice told him that McLean was a force of evil and was about to execute him. So again, it's kind of going back to like the whole thing where he was found by the other officers institutionalized because he was following the sun for God. Mm -hmm. It's still following that track that like he probably still had it back then and prior to that. Uh, another thing to note is that when Lee was in court, remember how I said there was no death penalty? He was pleading for people to just kill him. So he was he was in pain. He was in pain. I'm not going to say that what he did was right, but like, oh, God, he's not having a good time. His brain's not giving him a good time. So the trial concluded with the judge accepting the diagnosis and ruled that Lee was not criminally responsible for the murder. So what does that mean? That means that Vince does not have a criminal record. He is just mentally ill. So Lee was admitted to Selkirk Mental Health Center. Um, He had not actually come out of his, like, schizophrenic episode, I guess. Yeah. Um, But it was reported that he was starting to realize what he had done. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. he did not, though, admit ever remembering cannibalizing Tim's body. So, parts are missing from him. He's seen licking his fingers blood. People said that they saw him eat Tim's eyes. But he's saying that he doesn't remember that and that he didn't do it. 
So yeah, that's that's fun. That's fun. So let's talk about a little bit after he got admitted to the hospital. So on June 3rd, 2010, Vince was granted supervised outdoor walks with his mental health facility. So now he can be out into the pu- in the public. Yes. I believe it was in 2014. He was also granted unsupervised visits outside. Now, there were stipulations to that. He did still have to take his medication to treat his schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. He did have to have a cell phone on him to make sure that people could contact him. And I believe he could only be out for about 30 minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. But he was allowed, even though he had murdered somebody, and he was being treated for his schizophrenia, but he was allowed to be walking among people. He was not considered a risk (laughs) anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think sometimes with when people are found like not guilty due to insanity, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of unfair. Like, I get that they're suffering from a mental illness, Ooh. um, but I think at the same time, it's not like. They're, they're snapped and just, like, slap somebody. This is, like... True, yeah. They it's, snapped... It's, there's two sides. And took a life. Yeah. So... But now you're being though, treated, so you're not supposed to take another life. You should be not doing that anymore. Well, no, I think people that are... I think it should be that they're found guilty, but... They still have it, like, on But due to insanity. Yeah. And that maybe they're just institutionalized for life and mm-hmm. not given like the, well, in America, not given the death penalty and just given mental institution for life. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how Canada could do guilty due to insanity and institutionalized for life. I mean, they'd have to make it a whole new thing, but. I know. But it's like, you could always add it in. But that's what I think. It's like, I don't think it should be not guilty due to insanity if it's a major crime such as mm-hmm. murder murder or even like if there's a serial rapist that's saying that they rape because something in their head is telling them that well did you know i believe pedophilia is actually well pedophilia hypostrophilia not hypostrophilia holy shit <laughs> oh my god i can't remember what it is but you know how like they categorize like um attraction towards different age ranges differently yes I believe those are all categorized as mental illnesses. But see, that's the thing. You can't use that as a defense, though. (laughs) But but it's like, yeah, you may have a mental illness, but if that mental illness is causing you to, like, harm others, Mm -hmm. then maybe you shouldn't be. Like, if you have gotten treatment, but you still harm somebody, it's like. Well, I mean, I think that's when people are left in, like, facilities like that and are usually, like, I guess separated from most of like the people solitary confinement there we go i guess that's Um, the thing it's like it's tricky if it's severe enough where you were you were you either killed somebody Mm -hmm. or repeatedly like maybe you didn't kill somebody but you're repeatedly harming people Mm -hmm. like severely this was a one-time thing i know but the the thing the difference is is he murdered someone yeah that i think murder should be a one-time thing where it's like if you do it but he's not in his right mind. And now that he's treated, he's not having those same thoughts or urges anymore. I so I, it's so That's tricky, it's isn't like, it? For me, it's like, it's still murder. I totally get that. I mean, every point is fair for this. My point of view is that I think that he could be released back into the general population, but we, he would have to be heavily monitored after that as being a risk. Like police, hospitals, everywhere would have to know um what he's doing he would have to be attending like psychiatric evaluations he would have to have like an attending nurse to make sure that he was taking his medication and everything like it would basically be like you're still in a mental hospital but you get to live your life outside because i also think with with because i know from my experience but i don't have like schizophrenia or anything, but i do are you sure about that yes okay <laughs> uh, but i was on depression medication for a long time mm-hmm. and then like, now I'm not on it. 
Wow, congrats. Because I think, oh, I can handle it. But there are days like where I can't handle it. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to go back on medication. Same. So think about it with someone who's schizophrenic. They could think one day, oh, I have a handle on on it. Yeah, Yeah, I I have it under control. So for him, he could say he's released back into the general population. And he's like, oh, I have a handle on it. I have ways of coping. Yeah. So now I'm not going to take my medication. Yes. And then he dr- like slips back into that. Yes. So and that's, that's why I'm saying like he needs like an attending nurse or something, somebody mm-hmm. there to hold him accountable for like that's having. The, that's where I'm that. just like people who have certain mental illnesses that mm-hmm. murder somebody. It's like there's that risk that they're going to think, oh, well, I got treatment. I know how to mm-hmm. cope now. I'm going to stop my medication. Yeah. Also from a person who ha- <laughs> had to be on depression meds. <laughs> I also stopped in. <laughs> My God, was that a time? Was that a good time? Yeah. Um, so absolutely. I, get, I totally get where you're going for, with that. Because like, I thought I had a handle on it too. I did not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyways, he got those uh, unsupervised visits. Well, he eventually was discharged from that mental hospital. Mm-hmm. And again, just brought back into Gen Pop. Changed his name. Um, I... William Lee Baker is his new name. Now you can't really find a lot of stuff about him, like his life after, but he was allowed to change his name. He was allowed to, you know, leave the mental health uh, service to hospital and everything. And he's basically just a regular person now. That's not, again, see, I don't no think one that's is holding him accountable. <laughs> I don't think that's I don't, fair. No, it's not. I definitely don't think it's fair. Because um, again, like I at least think that he should have somebody there with him to make sure he's taking those medications, even if he has been deemed as okay enough to be back in general population. Like, he still murdered somebody. But that's why I don't think not guilty due to insanity should be allowed for, like, such major crimes such as mm. murder. Yeah. I don't know. But, again, it's tricky because you have to think, like, he was having a schizophrenic episode, so can you really hold him accountable for that? Because he wasn't in his he wasn't in his mind, basically. I don't know. It's just, it's to me, I'm looking at the severity of the crime. Mm-hmm. And so when you're like, I'm just looking at it, it's like, it's not like, it's not like he just, it's like a simple assault. Yeah. Where he might have slapped or punched somebody where you could, I think for that, you can be found not guilty due to insanity because you had a, you had an insane moment or whatever. This is like he murdered somebody. Yeah. That's like the most severe like crime you could commit. Mm -hmm. So that's why I I don't think not guilty due to insanity should be an option because it's like, yeah, it's not a simple assault. It's not like he destruction of property or something like that. Yeah. It's like murder. Yeah. You took a life. I have a question because it's kind of on the similar on a similar note. So you know how there's postpartum depression. Yes. There's also postpartum psychosis. Do you know what that is? Yes. Okay. So I don't know if you know about this nine one one call, but it was a sister that called into nine one one who reported that her sister who had just given birth had killed her baby because she had postpartum psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the same thing happened where. The mom ended up, you know, killing the baby, thinking that it was a demon, and started cannibalizing the baby. Yeah. Would you say, and like the thing with psychosis, uh, postpartum psychosis, is that I believe you do have hallucinations, Mm -hmm. and obviously, like you know, voices in your head are telling you, like your baby's a demon, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't mean to make fun of it. That's just how I interpret things, okay? Um, Some people do think babies are demons. <laughs> I mean, I do. I don't like babies. Um, would you hold her criminally responsible for that? But see, that's the thing where it's like, yes, because guilty due to insanity. Where it's like, let's say, because if you look at charges and stuff like that, mm-hmm. there's a potential for them to be, let's say you were charged with a felony due to possession of marijuana or a class one drug mm-hmm. or it, like pretty much anything like assault, whatever you, 
all those charges have a potential or certain charges. I shouldn't say all, but certain ones can be sealed from your record, erased Mm -hmm. from your record. But they're still like they were on your record for a little bit and you were held accountable for it. Or they could even drop down to a misdemeanor or be. um, Imagine getting a misdemeanor for murder. (laughs) That's the only thing. I yeah, can that's think why of. I was like, not all of them yeah. can be, but certain ones can be. So that's something where it's like, it could be part of that type of conviction where if you're guilty due to insanity, where you could eventually do certain things to make it sealed from your record. Mm-hmm. But, I don't think it should be sealed for this kind of thing. I think it should be a known thing. Again, I think hospitals and police departments need to know, hey, this person, they are being treated. They are doing well now, mm-hmm. but they had this happen. So I don't think it's like, be yeah, that's that the thing. It's hidden. like holding them accountable because it's like, I get, I get that at that moment, they're not in their right mind. They might've snapped. They mm-hmm. might've gone into a trance or disassociated, whatever, but they still did it. Yeah. It's like, she still, it's like that other mom, mom who had an, um, I think she had twins or triplets. That's rough, buddy. And that one of them. So one of them was completely normal. Okay. Like she was a normal baby, like was fussy, but not overly fussy. Mm-hmm. But the other one had allergies, was like, I think she suffered chronically from, um, God, it's how when babies get like a lot of diarrhea or something. I forget what it's called. Colic? I think so. I don't know why I know that. <laughs> that That's exactly what it is. <laughs> but it's like, this baby was overly fussy. She had a lot of allergies, so she had to be um, fed certain special formulas. Mm-hmm. Um, she had colic a lot. And so one night when the baby wasn't um, going down to sleep to let the mom sleep as well, mm-hmm. the mom ended up putting a pillow over it and laying on top of the pillow. And so in the morning when she was in her right mind again, the baby had unfortunately suffocated and like she realized what she did. But in that moment she wasn't sane, which it's like, I get she might've, she was tired. The baby maybe stressed mm-hmm. from the baby. So she like kind of, but that's snapped. not a like, I would say that's just an altered state of mind. So like if I were to take shrooms and I killed somebody, mm-hmm. I think same thing as that situation. It's not mm-hmm. like, my brain has completely changed or had a chemical imbalance that it can only be controlled. Like if I physically am trying to control uh, it I think and all the that. Mom also had stuff going on. I don't completely remember the situation. <laughs> it's okay. But. I'm sure she did. I, I'm sure but, it's again, just being super tired and being frustrated and all that. Cause I, I'm sure there are plenty of stories of parents feeling like that is the only solution to like getting some peace and quiet for mm-hmm. once. But I don't know, but it's just, it's still similar where it's like, she's not in her right state mm-hmm. of mind. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, I see that as still being, I don't, I don't know the term for it, but like negligent, but like, you know, physically hurting somebody, but through that, I guess that's just negligent, <laughs> but you you know what I mean? Like acting on, on that, like going against what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see it as like. They have an actual, not that it's not a problem, but like they actually have a problem with like them being like, I was going to say heteronormative. (laughs) You have a problem being straight. No, Um, you have a problem being neurotypical where it's like a consistent like thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas this is just kind of like a, I'm frustrated and I decided to act out. It's just a, you know, spur of the moment kind of thing. Because if you're going to say that that would be i guess somebody who cannot be held criminally um or who is criminally insane or whatever i'm forgetting all these terms now then i'm not sure that that still wouldn't apply to something like a person who strikes their child when they're super angry because you can still consider that um abuse Mm -hmm. i mean i'm sure if it's like super consistent like you would see it as abuse but like let's say some other, she gets frustrated just like every once in a while. I'm just going to say like every week and she just strikes her child. Like just when she's super angry, when something bad happens, when they act out. Mm-hmm. Then I can you can say it's the same thing as with the whole baby situation. I'm just like, no, I think you could still count that as abuse. 
considering it's a consistent pattern. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I'm not an expert on these things. Um, you want to hear about a couple of other things that happened after trial, sure. after the incident? So, after the attack, Greyhound Canada also had an ad that they had to pull that included, uh, the ad itself included a line that said, there's a reason you've never heard of bus rage. Obviously, um, that's a pretty good call to stop that ad. Mm -hmm. Um, It reminds me of, geez, this is going to be traumatic, um, considering it just got brought up again, the Sandy Hook shooting, um, how they had to pull Kesha's song, Die Young, yeah. It reminds me exactly of that. Which I mean both of those were good calls. There was also PETA that sent an advertisement to Portage Daily Graphic comparing the murder of Tim McLean to the killing of animals for food. So here is PETA just being PETA. Yeah, PETA. Um obviously the Portage Daily Graphic rejected the paper. Um, or I'm sorry, the ad was rejected by the paper and PETA faced criticism for this because again, they're exploiting a tragedy for their own narrative. Um, they didn't apologize for it, by the way, they never do. do. Uh, Tim's family also filed a lawsuit against the attorney general of Canada and, um, Vince Lee. I don't know where that um, ended up. I, d- I didn't see anything following up on it. Um, and then also, two other passengers filed a lawsuit against Vince Lee, Greyhound, and the RCMP uh, and the government of Canada for being exposed to the horrific beheading. Um, they were seeking about $3 million in damages. I think... I think that the values between like the families, like reparation, and then the passengers should be flip flopped. <laughs> well, how much was the family seeking? Uh, one hundred fifty thousand. Because that is up to their lawyers. Well, I think the lawyer is the one that helps negotiate. Yeah. So the lawyer should have sought more, and the, maybe the passengers got a different lawyer that was like, "Hey, you should seek this." Yeah. Oh. I don't know. I guess it's super tricky because, I mean, the passengers were the ones there that have to deal with, like, the trauma of, like, seeing the beheading and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, as opposed to the family who was not there did not see it, probably did not see their son's body as it is. Um, but still have to deal with the trauma of losing a person in such a horrific way. I, okay. How about this? But- I wish the family would have been offered – well, not offered – but like you know, like had a but higher that's the thing, value. Like they, the offer comes after they seek the damages. Mm-hmm. So the family sought one hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. So, so I wish that's they why would have gone higher. Should have, or their lawyer should have gone they, higher. Their lawyer should have said, "You guys should seek this amount of damages." Yeah. But anyway, speaking of trauma, um, there was also one of the responding officers who also committed suicide because of the trauma of seeing all the events that happened too um but yeah he didn't seek any damages i don't think his wife did either i would i would piss i mean yeah yeah it would be too but i don't know but also i think i would just he the whole reason like he did commit suicide is because he didn't want to be associated with that the trauma and he was known as like one of the responding officers at the scene he hated it but I, think, I don't think his wife and his memory would want to continue putting his name to that incident. I think that may have been more of a respect towards him kind of thing. But I also wonder if a police officer um, committed suicide because of a crime or because of like a case. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's something in there. Because I know health insurance doesn't pay out if you co- commit suicide. That's fucking so, bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I know. Pretty much all health insurances don't. Okay, Snapchat. Pretty much all health insurances don't pay out if you commit suicide. Um, But I wonder if we're officers, there's something in their contract or like dealing with the family that Mm -hmm. a wife can't sue the department if they receive trauma or something from it. From the trauma or um, 
the outcome if like they end up killing themselves because of a case mm -hmm. i mean i definitely think there's the one for trauma but that would probably be the police department's responsibility to help them seek treatment then um i don't know if they would go to the extent of like putting in a payout for suicide well not a payout but i'm saying like the wife or the family can't come after the department because of the trauma they received whatever outcome happened i have to google it but i I think that that's when they would probably have a payout for Mm -hmm. like um because it comes with the job because firefighters too you could Mm -hmm. they also would see trauma on the job oh yeah so it's like it i wonder if it's part of their contract that families can't sue a department is it considered a known risk when going into a profession? Because I think that's yeah, also something that, that factors in. Um, I don't know. I've never wanted to go into this career field because, one, trauma. Two, it's a lot of movement, and I'm not very good at movement. Um, but, yeah, that's what I got for you. Super Thank sad. You. You're welcome. I was about to say bone apple teeth, but that's really not <laughs> appropriate. <laughs> Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube at Ofric Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.